Section 18 of Literary Lapses by Stephen Leacock. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Number 56. What I narrate was told me one winter's evening by my friend Ah Yen in the little room behind his laundry. Ah Yen is a quiet little celestial with a grave and thoughtful face, and that melancholy contemplative disposition so often noticed in his countrymen. Between myself and Ah Yen there exists a friendship of some years standing, and we spend many a long evening in the dimly lighted room behind his shop, smoking a dreamy pipe together, and plunged in silent meditation. I am chiefly attracted to my friend by the highly imaginative cast of his mind, which is, I believe, a trait of the Eastern character, and which enables him to forget, to a great extent, the sordid cares of his calling in an inner life of his own creation. Of the keen, analytical side of his mind, I was in entire ignorance until the evening of which I write. The room where we sat was small and dingy, with but little furniture except our chairs and the little table at which we filled and arranged our pipes, and was lighted only by a tallow candle. There were a few pictures on the walls, for the most part rude prints cut from the columns of the daily press and pasted up to hide the barrenness of the room. Only one picture was in any way noticeable, a portrait admirably executed in pen and ink. The face was that of a young man, a very beautiful face, but one of infinite sadness. I had long been aware, although I know not how, that Ah Yen had met with a great sorrow, and had in some way connected the fact with this portrait. I had always refrained, however, from asking him about it, and it was not until the evening in question that I knew its history. We had been smoking in silence for some time when Ah Yen spoke. My friend is a man of culture and wide reading, and his English is consequently perfect in its construction. His speech is, of course, marked by the lingering liquid accent of his country, which I will not attempt to reproduce. "'I see,' he said, "'that you have been examining the portrait of my unhappy friend, Fifty-Six. I have never yet told you of my bereavement, but as to-night is the history of his death, I would fain speak of him for a while.' Ah Yen paused. I lighted my pipe afresh, and nodded to him to show that I was listening. "'I do not know,' he went on, at what precise time fifty-six came into my life. I could indeed find it out by examining my books, but I have never troubled to do so. Naturally I took no more interest in him at first than in any other of my customers, less, perhaps, because he never in the course of our connection brought his clothes to me himself, but always sent them by a boy. When I presently perceived that he was becoming one of my regular customers, I allotted to him his number, fifty-six, and began to speculate as to who and what he was. Before long I had reached several conclusions in regard to my unknown client. The quality of his linen showed me that, if not rich, he was at any rate fairly well off. I could see that he was a young man of regular Christian life, who went out into society to a certain extent. This I could tell from his sending the same number of articles to the laundry, from his washing always coming on Saturday night, 
and from the fact that he wore a dress shirt about once a week. In disposition he was a modest, unassuming fellow, for his collars were only two inches high. I stared at Ah Yun in some amazement. The recent publications of a favorite novelist had rendered me familiar with this process of analytical reasoning, but I was prepared for no such revelations from my eastern friend. When I first knew him, Ah Yen went on, fifty-six was a student at the university. This, of course, I did not know for some time. I inferred it, however, in the course of time, from his absence from town during the four summer months, and from the fact that during the time of the university examinations, the cuffs of his shirts came to me covered with dates, formulas, and propositions in geometry. I followed him with no little interest through his university career. During the four years which it lasted, I watched for him every week. My regular connection with him, and the insight which my observation gave me into the lovable character of the man, deepened my first esteem into a profound affection, and I became most anxious for his success. I helped him at each succeeding examination, as far as lay in my power, by starching his shirts halfway to the elbow, so as to leave him as much room as possible for annotations. My anxiety during the strain of his final examination I will not attempt to describe. That fifty-six was undergoing the great crisis of his academic career I could infer from the state of his handkerchiefs, which, in apparent unconsciousness, he used as pen-wipers during the final test. His conduct throughout the examination bore witness to the moral development which had taken place in his character during his career as an undergraduate, for the notes upon his cuffs, which had been so copious at his earlier examinations, were limited now to a few hints, and these upon topics so intricate as to defy an ordinary memory. It was with a thrill of joy that I at last received in his laundry bundle one Saturday early in June, a ruffled dress-shirt, the bosom of which was thickly splattered with the spillings of the wine-cup, and realized that fifty-six had banqueted as a bachelor of arts. In the following winter the habit of wiping his pen upon his handkerchief, which I had remarked during his final examination, became chronic with him, and I knew that he had entered upon the study of law. He worked hard during that year, and dress-shirts almost disappeared from his weekly bundle. It was in the following winter, the second year of his legal studies, that the tragedy of his life began. I became aware that a change had come over his laundry. From one, or at most two a week, his dress-shirts rose to four, and silk handkerchiefs began to replace his linen ones. It dawned upon me that fifty-six was abandoning the rigorous tenor of his student life, and was going into society. I presently perceived something more. Fifty-six was in love. It was soon impossible to doubt it. He was wearing seven shirts a week. Linen handkerchiefs disappeared from his laundry. His collars rose from two inches to two and a quarter, and finally to two and a half. I have in my possession one of his laundry lists of that period. A glance at it will show the scrupulous care which he bestowed upon his person. Well do I remember the dawning hopes of those days, alternating with the gloomiest despair. 
Each Saturday I opened his bundle with a trembling eagerness to catch the first signs of a return of his love. I helped my friend in every way that I could. His shirts and collars were masterpieces of my art, though my hand often shook with agitation as I applied the starch. She was a brave, noble girl, that I knew. Her influence was elevating the whole nature of fifty-six. Until now he had had in his possession a certain number of detached cuffs and false shirt fronts. These he discarded now. At first the false shirt fronts, scorning the very idea of fraud, and after a time in his enthusiasm, abandoning even the cuffs. I cannot look back upon those bright happy days of courtship without a sigh. The happiness of fifty-six seemed to enter into and fill my whole life. I lived but from Saturday to Saturday. The appearance of false shirt-fronts would cast me to the lowest depths of despair. Their absence raised me to a pinnacle of hope. It was not till winter softened into spring that fifty-six nerved himself to learn his fate. One Saturday he sent me a new white waistcoat, a garment which had hitherto been shunned by his modest nature, to prepare for his use. I bestowed upon it all the resources of my art. I read his purpose in it. On the Saturday following it was returned to me, and, with tears of joy, I marked where a warm little hand had rested fondly on the right shoulder, and I knew that fifty-six was the accepted lover of his sweetheart. Ayen paused and sat for some time silent. His pipe had sputtered out and lay cold in the hollow of his hand. His eye was fixed upon the wall where the light and shadows shifted in the dull flickering of the candle. At last he spoke again. I will not dwell upon the happy days that ensued, days of gaudy summer neckties and white waistcoats, of spotless shirts and lofty collars worn but a single day by the fastidious lover. Our happiness seemed complete, and I asked no more from fate. Alas, it was not destined to continue. When the bright days of summer were fading into autumn, I was grieved to notice an occasional quarrel, only four shirts instead of seven, or the reappearance of the abandoned cuffs and shirt fronts. Reconciliations followed with tears of penitence upon the shoulder of the white waistcoat, and the seven shirts came back. But the quarrels grew more frequent, and there came at times stormy scenes of passionate emotion that left a track of broken buttons down the waistcoat. The shirts went slowly down to three, then fell to two, and the collars of my unhappy friend subsided to an inch and three-quarters. In vain I lavished my utmost care upon fifty-six. It seemed to my tortured mind that the gloss upon his shirts and collars would have melted a heart of stone. Alas, my every effort at reconciliation seemed to fail. An awful month passed. The false fronts and detached cuffs were all back again. The unhappy lover seemed to glory in their perfidy. At last, one gloomy evening, I found on opening his bundle that he had bought a stock of celluloids, and my heart told me that she had abandoned him for ever. Of what my poor friend suffered at this time I can give you no idea. Suffice it to say that he passed from celluloid to a blue flannel shirt, and from blue to grey. 
the sight of a red cotton handkerchief in his wash at length warned me that his disappointed love had unhinged his mind, and I feared the worst. Then came an agonizing interval of three weeks, during which he sent me nothing, and after that came the last parcel that I ever received from him, an enormous bundle that seemed to contain all his effects. In this, to my horror, I discovered one shirt the breast of which was stained a deep crimson with his blood, and was pierced by a ragged hole that showed where a bullet had singed through to his heart. A fortnight before, I remembered having heard the street boys crying the news of an appalling suicide, and I know now that it must have been he. After the first shock of my grief had passed, I sought to keep him in my memory by drawing the portrait which hangs beside you. I have some skill in the art, and I feel assured that I have caught the expression of his face. The picture is, of course, an ideal one, for, as you know, I never saw fifty-six. The bell on the door of the outer shop tinkled at the entrance of a customer. Ah Yen rose with that air of quiet resignation that habitually marked his demeanour, and remained for some time in the shop. When he returned, he seemed in no mood to continue speaking of his lost friend. I left him soon after, and walked sorrowfully home to my lodgings. On my way I mused much upon my little eastern friend and the sympathetic grasp of his imagination. But a burden lay heavy on my heart, something I would fain have told him, but which I could not bear to mention. I could not find it in my heart to shatter the airy castle of his fancy. For my life had been secluded and lonely, and I have known no love like that of my ideal friend. Yet I have a haunting recollection of a certain huge bundle of washing that I sent to him about a year ago. I had been absent from town for three weeks, and my laundry was much larger than usual in consequence. And if I mistake not, there was in the bundle a tattered shirt that had been grievously stained by the breaking of a bottle of red ink in my portmanteau, and burnt in one place where an ash fell from my cigar as I made up the bundle. Of all this I cannot feel absolutely certain, yet I know at least that until a year ago, when I transferred my custom to a more modern establishment, my laundry number with Ah Yen was fifty-six. End of section 18